Section 16 of Under Drake's Flag. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines. Under Drake's Flag, A Tale of the Spanish Main by George Alfred Henty. Chapter 15. The Prison of the Inquisition. Among the spectators on the mole were the governor and other principal officers of Arica, it seems almost like a miracle from heaven the priest who was standing next to the governor exclaimed the governor was scowling angrily at the boat if there be a miracle he said good father it is that our eyes have been blinded so long think you for a moment that two lads who have been brought up among the indians from their childhood could manage a boat in such a sea as this why if their story were true they could neither of them ever have handled an oar and these are sailors skilful and daring beyond the common and have ventured a feat that none of our people here on shore were willing to undertake how they got here i know not but assuredly they are english sailors this will account for their blue eyes and light hair which have so puzzled us and for that ignorance of spanish which they so craftily accounted for although the assembled mass of people on the beach had not arrived at the conclusions to which the governor had jumped they were filled with astonishment and admiration at the daring deed which had been accomplished and when the boat was safely brought round behind the shelter of the rock and its occupants landed on the shore loud cheers broke from the crowd and the lads received a perfect ovation their comrades of the barracks being especially enthusiastic Presently the crowd were severed by two soldiers, who made their way through it, and, approaching Ned and Tom, said, We have the orders of the governor to bring you to him. The lads supposed that the governor desired to thank them for saving the lives of the shipwrecked men, for in the excitement of the rescue, the thought that they had exposed themselves by their knowledge of seamanship had never crossed their minds. The crowd followed tumultuously, expecting to hear a flattering tribute paid to the young man who had behaved so well but the aspect of the governor as surrounded by his officers he stood in one of the batteries on the mole excited a vague feeling of astonishment and surprise you are two english seamen he said when the lads approached it is useless lying any longer your knowledge of seamanship and your appearance alike convict you for an instant the boys were too surprised to reply and then tom said boldly we are sir we have done no wrong to any man and we are not ashamed now to say that we are englishmen under the same circumstances i doubt not that any spaniard would have similarly tried to escape recognition but as chance has betrayed us any further concealment were unnecessary take them to the guard-house the governor said and keep a close watch over them later i will interrogate them myself in the palace the feelings of the crowd on hearing this unexpected colloquy were very mixed in many the admiration which the boy's conduct had excited swallowed up all other feeling but among the less enthusiastic minds a vague distrust and terror was at once excited by the news that english sailors were among them no englishman had ever been seen on that coast and they had inflicted such terrible losses on the west indian islands and on the neighboring coast that it is no matter for surprise that their first appearance on the western shores of south america 
was deemed an omen of terrible import. The news rapidly spread from mouth to mouth, and a large crowd followed in the rear of the little party and assembled around the governor's house. The sailors who had been rescued had many friends in the port, and these took up the cause of the boys, and shouted that men who had done so gallant a deed should be pardoned, whatever their offense. Perhaps, on the whole, this party were in the majority, but the sinister whisper that circulated among the crowd, that they were spies who had been landed from English ships on the coast, gradually cooled even the most enthusiastic of their partisans, and what at one time appeared likely to become a formidable popular movement, gradually calmed down, and the crowd dispersed. When brought before the governor, the boys affected no more concealment, but the only point upon which they refused to give information was respecting the ships on which they had sailed, and the time at which they had been left upon the eastern coast of America. Without absolutely affirming the fact, they led to the belief that they had passed some years since they left their vessels. The governor presently gazed sharply upon them and demanded, Are you the two whites who headed the Negro revolt in Puerto Rico, and did so much damage to our possessions in that island? Ned would have hesitated as to the answer, but Tom at once said firmly, We are not those two white men, sir, but we know them well and they were two gallant and loyal Englishmen who, as we know, did much to restrain the atrocities of the Indians. We saw them when they regained their ships. It was lucky indeed that the governor did not put the question separately, instead of saying, Were you two the leaders? For in that case Ned would have been forced to acknowledge that he was one of them. The outspokenness of Tom's answer allayed the governor's suspicions. A great portion of his questioning was directed to discovering whether they really had crossed the continent, for he, as well as the populace outside, had at first conceived the idea that they might have been landed on the coast as spies. The fact, however, that they were captured far up among the Cordilleras, their dress and their appearance, and their knowledge of the native tongues, which he tested by bringing in some natives, who entered into conversation with them, convinced him that all this portion of their story was true, as he had no fear of their escaping, he said that, at present, he should not treat them as prisoners, and that their gallant conduct in rowing out to save the lives of Spaniards in danger entitled them to every good treatment, but that he must report their case to the authorities at Lima, who would, of course, decide upon it. The priest, however, urged upon the governor that he should continue his instructions to them in the Catholic religion, and the governor then pointed out to Ned, who alone was able to converse fluently in Spanish, that they had now been so long separated from their countrymen that they might, with advantage to themselves, become naturalized as Spaniards, in which case he would push their fortunes to the utmost, and, with his report in their favor, they might rise to positions of credit and honor. Whereas, if they insisted upon maintaining their nationality as Englishmen, it was but too probable that the authorities at Lima would consider it necessary to send them as prisoners to Spain. He said, however, that he would not press them for an answer at once. Greatly rejoiced at finding that they were not at present to be thrown into prison, but were to be allowed to continue their independent life in the barracks, the lads took their departure from the governor's house, and were most cordially received by their comrades. For a short time everything went smoothly. The suspicion that they were spies had now passed away, 
and the remembrance of their courageous action made them popular among all classes in the town a cloud however began to gather slowly around them now that they had declared their nationality they felt that they could no longer even pretend that it was likely that they might be induced to forsake their religion and they accordingly refused positively to submit any longer to the teaching of the priests arguments were spent upon them in vain and after resorting to these threats were not obscurely uttered they were told and with truth that only two or three months before six persons had been burned alive at lima for defying the authority of the church and that if they persisted in their heretical opinions a similar fate might fall upon them english boys are accustomed to think with feelings of unmitigated horror and indignation of the days of the inquisition and in times like these when a general toleration of religious opinion prevails it appears to us almost incredible that men should have put others to death in the name of religion but it is only by placing ourselves in the position of the persecutors of the middle ages that we can see that what appears to us cruelty and barbarity of the worst kind was really the result of a zeal in its way as earnest if not as praiseworthy as that which now impels missionaries to go with their lives in their hands to regions where little but a martyr's grave can be expected nowadays we believe at least all right-minded men believe that there is good in all creeds and that it would be rash indeed to condemn men who act up to the best of their lights even though these lights may not be our own in the middle ages there was no idea of tolerance such as this men believed fiercely and earnestly that any deviation from the creed to which they themselves belonged meant an eternity of unhappiness such being the case the more earnestly religious a man was the more he desired to save those around him from this fate the inquisitors and those who supported them cannot be charged with wanton cruelty they killed partly to save those who defied the power of the church and partly to prevent the spread of their doctrines their belief was that it was better that one man should die even by the death of fire than that hundreds should stray from the pale of the church and so incur the loss of eternal happiness in the indies where the priests in many cases showed a devotion and heroic qualities equal to anything which has ever been displayed by missionaries in any part of the world persecution was yet hotter than it ever was in civilized europe these men believed firmly that it was their bounden duty at any cost to force the natives to become christians and however we may think that they were mistaken and wrong however we may abhor the acts of cruelty which they committed it would be a mistake indeed to suppose that these were perpetrated from mere lightness of heart and wanton bloodthirstiness the laws of those days were in all countries brutally severe in england in the reign of henry the eighth the loss of an ear was the punishment inflicted upon a man who begged the second time he offended the other ear was cut off a third repetition of the offence and he was sold into slavery and if he ran away from his master he was liable to be put to death by the first person who met him the theft of any article above the value of three shillings was punishable by death and a similar code of punishment prevailed for all kinds of offences human life was then held in such slight regard that we must remember that terrible as the doings of the inquisition were they were not so utterly foreign to the age in which they were perpetrated as would appear to us living in these days of moderate punishment 
and general humanity. By the boys, however, brought up in England, which at that time was bitterly and even fiercely anti-Catholic, a state of things which naturally followed the doings in the reign of Queen Mary, and the threatening aspect maintained by Spain toward this country, popery was held in utter abhorrence, and the Inquisition was the bugbear with which mothers frightened their children when disobedient. The thought, therefore, of falling into the hands of this dreaded tribunal was very terrible to the boys. They debated between themselves whether it would not be better for them to leave Arica secretly, to make for the mountains, and to take up their lot for life among the natives of the plains, who had so hospitably received them. They had indeed almost arrived at the conclusion that this would be their best plan of procedure. They lingered, however, in the hope, daily becoming fainter, of the arrival of Drake's fleet, but it seemed that, by this time, it must have failed in its object of doubling the horn. Nearly six months had elapsed since they had been let off on the eastern coast, and, according to their calculation of distance, two months should have amply sufficed to enable them to make the circuit of South America. They could not tell that the fleet had been delayed by extraordinary accidents. When off the Cape they had met with storms, which continued from the 7th of September to the 28th of October without intermission, and which the old chronicler of the expedition describes as being more violent and of longer continuance than any since Noah's flood. They had to waste much time, owing to the fact that Captain Winter, with one of the ships had, missing his consorts in the storm, sailed back to England, that two other ships were lost, and that Captain Drake, with his flagship, which alone remained, had spent much time in searching for his consorts in every inlet and island. Among those saved in the boat from the Spanish ship was a young gentleman of rank and fortune, and owner of large estates near Lima, who had come down upon some business. He took a great affection for the young Englishmen, and came each day to visit them, there being no let or hindrance on the part of the governor. This gentleman assured them that he possessed great influence at Lima, and that although he doubted not that the military authorities would treat them with all courtesy after the manner in which they had risked their lives to save subjects of his majesty, yet that, should it be otherwise, he would move heaven and earth in their favor. There is but one thing I dread, he said, and a cloud came over his handsome face. You need hardly say what it is, Ned said gravely. You mean, of course, the Inquisition. The Spaniard signified his assent by a silent movement of the head. We dare not speak above our breath of that dreaded tribunal, he said. The very walls appear to have ears, and it is better to face a tiger in his den than to say aught against the Inquisition. There are many Spaniards who, like myself, loathe and abhor it, but we are powerless. Their agents are everywhere and one knows not in whom he dare confide. Even in our families there are spies, and this tyranny, which is carried on in the name of religion, is past all supporting. But even should the holy office lay its hands upon you, keep up heart. Be assured that I will risk all that I am worth, and my life to boot, to save you from it. Would you advise us to fly? Ned said. We can without doubt escape from here, for we are but lightly guarded and the governor, I am sure, is friendly towards us. "'Whither would you fly?' asked the young Spaniard. "'We would cross the mountains to the plains and join the Indians there.' "'It would be a wretched life,' the Spaniard said, "'and would cut you off from all kindred and friends. 
I can give you no advice. To me, I confess, death would be preferable, even in its worst forms. But to you, fond of exercise and able to cause yourself to be respected and feared by the wild Indians of the Pampas, it might be different. However, you need not decide yet. I trust that, even should the worst befall you, I may be able, at the last moment, to give you the opportunity of choosing that life in preference to death in the dungeons of the Inquisition. It was about ten days from the date of the governor's writing that a ship came in from Lima, and the same evening the governor came in to them with a grave face. He was attended by two officials dressed in the deepest black. Signors, he said, it is my duty in the first place to inform you that the governor of Lima, acting upon the report which I sent him, of the bravery which you manifested in the matter of the wreck here, has agreed to withdraw all question against you, touching your past connection with the English freebooters, and to allow you freedom without let or hindrance, and to further your passage to such place as opportunity may afford, and where you may be able to meet with a ship from your own country. That is all I have to say to you. Then the men in black stepped forward and said, We arrest you, in the name of the Holy Inquisition, on the charge of heresy. The young men glanced at the governor, believing that he was sufficiently their friend to give them a sign if resistance would be of any avail. He replied to the unspoken question by an almost imperceptible shake of the head, and it was well that the boys abandoned the idea, for the door opened and a guard of six men, armed to the teeth, although in plain dark clothes, entered. These were the alhuazils of the holy office, the birds of night, whose appearance was dreaded even by the most bigoted Spaniards, and at whose approach mothers clasped their children closer to their breast, and men crossed themselves at the thought that their passage boded death to some unhappy victim. It must be remembered that the Inquisition, framed at first only for the discovery and punishment of heresy, later became an instrument of private vengeance. Men denounced wives of whom they wished to be rid, wives' husbands, no relations of kin were sufficient to ensure safety. The evidence, sometimes true, was more often manufactured by malice and hate, until at last even the most earnest and sincere Catholics trembled when they thought that, at any moment, they might be denounced and flung into the dungeons of the Inquisition. Brave as the lads were, they could not avoid a thrill of horror at the presence of the familiars of this dreaded body. They were, however, cheered by the thought of the promises of the young Spaniard, in whose honesty and honor they had great faith. And with a few words of adieu to the governor, and thanks to him for what he had done in their behalf, they followed the officers of the Inquisition along the streets of Arica, and suffered themselves to be placed on board the boat, which lay alongside the mole. Although it was late in the evening, their passage was not unobserved. Many of the officers recognized, in the two men marching, surrounded by the black guard of the Inquisition, their late comrades, and confident in their numbers, these did not hesitate to lift their voices, in loud protest, against this seizure of men who had behaved so gallantly. In the darkness, too, they feared not that their faces would be recognized, and their curses and threats rose loud in the air. People looking out from their doors to hear the cause of the uproar were variously affected. Some joined in the movement of the soldiers, but more shrank back with dread into their houses, rather than be compromised with so dreaded a body. The threats, however, did not proceed to open violence, and as the young men, themselves, gave no sign of attempting an effort for freedom, 
their comrades contented themselves with many shouts of good wishes mingled with curses upon their captors and the lads were embarked without the alguazils having to use the swords which they had drawn in readiness for the expected fray you are witness senior officer ned said that we came without resistance and that had we chosen we could with the assistance of the soldiers have easily broken from the hold of your men we are willing however to proceed with you to lima where we doubt not that the justice of our judges will result in our acquittal no one can blame us that we are of the religion of our fathers had we been born catholics and then relapsed into heresy it would have been reasonable for you to have considered our case but as we but hold the religion which we have been taught and know indeed of no other we see not how in any man's eyes blame can rest upon us i take note the officer said of the docility with which you have remained in our hands and will so far testify in your favor touching the other matter it is beyond my jurisdiction the vessel in which the boys were embarked was a slow one and two days after leaving arica they saw a small sailing craft pass them at no great distance sailing far more rapidly than they themselves were going the boys gave no thought to this occurrence until they arrived at the harbor of lima a large number of ships were here anchored and after the solitude of the sea which they had endured during their voyage from england this collection of fine galleons greatly pleased the boys who had never seen so large a number of ships collected together there being nigh forty sail then in harbor as the officers of the inquisition scarcely ever passed through the streets in the daytime owing to the known hostility of the mass of the population no attempt at a landing was made until nightfall the officer in charge was however surprised upon reaching the landing-place to find a large crowd assembled who saluted his party with hisses and groans and loud cries of shame those behind pressed forward and those in front were forced into the ranks of the alguazils and it seemed at one time as if the prisoners would be separated from their guards a man in a rough peasant's dress was forced in contact with ned and said hastily in a low voice to him keep up your heart when preparations are made i will act ned recognized the voice of the young spanish gentleman whom he had left at arica and guessed immediately that he had taken passage in the swift-sailing caravel in order to be able to reach lima before the vessel containing the prisoners ned had in confidence in his talks with him informed him that he still hoped although his hopes had now fallen almost to zero from the long tarrying of the fleet that the english admiral would arrive and that he should be able to go on board and so rejoin his countrymen this expectation indeed it was which had prevented ned and tom making their escape when they could have done so and taking to the mountains for it was certain that some time at least would elapse before stringent measures would be taken against them another effort would without doubt be made to persuade them to abandon their religion and every day might bring with it the arrival of the english vessels the young men were conducted to a dark and sombre building which bore the appearance of a vast monastery the interior was even more dismal in its appearance than the walls without a solitary figure met them at the doorway their guards entered and the gates were closed behind the officer in charge handed to the newcomer a paper and the latter receiving it said i accept the charge of the prisoners and your duties are at an end concerning them 
Motioning them to follow, he led them through some long, dark corridors, into a room much better furnished and provided than they had expected. Here, placing a lamp upon the table, and pointing to two manchettes of bread and a vessel of water, which stood on the table, and to two truckle-beds in the corner of the room, he left them without a word. Ned had already agreed with his companion that they would not, when once within the building, say a word to each other, which they would not have heard by their jailers, for they were well aware that these buildings were furnished with listening-places, and that every word which prisoners said would be overheard, and used against them. They comforted themselves, therefore, with general observations as to their voyage, and to the room in which they now were, and to the hopes which they entertained, that their judges would take a favorable view of their conduct. Then, with a sincere prayer to God to spare them through the dangers and trials which they might have to undergo, they lay down for the night, and, such is the elasticity and strength of youth, they were, in spite of the terrible position in which they were placed, in a few minutes fast asleep. The next day the door of the apartment opened, and two attendants, dressed in black from head to foot, and bearing white wands, entered and motioned to them to follow them. Through more long corridors and passages they went, until they stopped at some thick curtains, overhanging a door. These were drawn aside, the door behind them was opened, other curtains hanging on the inside were separated, and they entered a large apartment, lighted artificially by lamps from above. At a table at the end of the room were seated three men, also in black. They were writing, and for some time did not look up from their work. The attendants stood motionless by the side of the lads, who, in spite of their courage, could not but shudder at the grim silence of this secret tribunal. At last the chief inquisitor laid down his pen and, lifting his eyes towards them, said, your names are Edward Hearn and Thomas Tresellis. You are English sailors who, having crossed from the other side of the continent, made your way to Arica, where you did, as I am told, a brave action, in saving the lives of some Spanish sailors. Tom assented gravely to the address. You are accused, the Inquisitor went on, of being steeped in the errors of heresy, and of refusing to listen to the ministrations of the Holy Father who tried to instruct you in the doctrines of the true church. What have you to say to this? It is true, sir, Ned said, every word. We were born Protestants, and were brought up in that church. Had we been born in Spain, we should, no doubt, have been true members of your church. But it is hard that men, once ingrained in a faith, should change it for another. It were like asking a tiger to become a leopard. We are unlearned men and in no way skilled in the exercises of theology. We accepted what we were taught, and would fain die in the same belief. Doubtless your priests could give us arguments which we should be unable to refute, whatever might be done by learned men of our church, and we would pray you to suffer us to hold to the creed in which we have been reared. It is impossible, the inquisitor said, that we should permit you to go on straightway in the way of damnation. Your bodies are as nothing to the welfare of your souls, and to save the one it were indeed for your good that the other were tormented. We will not, however, press you now to recant your errors. You shall be attended by a minister of the true religion, who will point out to you the error of your courses, and in three days we shall expect an answer from you. If you embrace the faith of the Holy Church, you may, if you choose to remain here, rise to posts of honor and wealth for we have heard good things of your courage and prudence. 
If, however, you remain stubborn, we shall find means to compel you to do that which we would fain that you should do of your free will. And if you still defy, at once, the kindness and the chastisement of the Church, you will receive that doom which awaits all who defy its authority. The attendants now touched the lads on the arm, in token that the audience was over, and led them back to the room in which they had first been confined. When left alone, the boys examined this closely, although seeming to be looking without motive at the walls. The windows were placed high up from the ground, far from their reach, and were thickly barred. The door was of massive oak, and the room, although in appearance but an ordinary apartment, was truly a dungeon as safe, and as difficult to break out of, as if far below the surface of the earth. Later on, when an attendant came in with bread and water, which formed the substance of each meal, as he placed it on the table, he said, in a low muttered whisper, Hope always. Friends are working. This intimation greatly raised the spirits of the prisoners, as they felt that their friend the Spaniard had already succeeded in corrupting some, at least, of the familiars of the Inquisition, and that no means would be spared to secure their escape, should the worst occur. For three days they were visited for many hours daily by a priest, who endeavored to explain to Ned the points of difference between the two religions, and to convince him of the errors of that of England. Ned, however, although but a poor theologist, gave answer to all his arguments that he could in no way reply to the reasonings of the priest, but that he was nevertheless convinced of their error, and sure that a divine of his church would have found replies to difficulties to which he could see no outlet. The priest strove earnestly with him, but at the end of the third day he retired, exasperated, saying angrily that he now left them to other hands. End of chapter 15 Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah